Hello, I'm Monsignor Jim Losanti. This week, my guest on Personally Speaking is Father Michael Mastella. Father Michael is a newly ordained priest from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles and has a lot to say about the church and about faith and about his journey to embrace the invitation of Christ to be a priest. Please stay with us. Hello and welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Losanti, and Father Michael Mastella joins me now. Uh, Father Michael is a priest for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. He grew up in Santa Paula, uh, California, and attended Thomas Aquinas College, where he double majored in theology and philosophy. Father Michael then moved to Kenosha, Wisconsin, where he became a high school teacher of theology. It was during these two years of teaching that the seeds of his vocation began to grow. Father Michael returned to California and entered into formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles and was enrolled in St. John's Seminary in Camarillo in 2015. After six years of seminary training, Father Michael was ordained a priest on June 5th, 2021. In July, he was assigned by Archbishop Jose Gomez to St. Helen's Parish in Southgate, California, where he currently ministers as an associate pastor. Father Michael's here with us today to talk about his spiritual discernment, his faith formation, and about the journey to embracing the response, the invitation of Christ to the priesthood. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Father Michael Mastola. Father Michael, I, I'm going to begin this question questioning by uh, mentioning to our listeners and viewers around the world that uh, uh, Father Michael Mastella is uh, just come from confession in his parish. And, and I'm wondering, because I'm uh, 40 years into this, what was it like the first time when you're newly ordained to hear someone's confession? It was humbling. I don't know. It's hard to put into words. I think it's just, um, and to realize that I had that spiritual power was also kind of, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just, it, it's very humbling that someone would come to you, yeah. open up in that kind of way. And, and, and then to speak the words of absolution to kind of almost be like, wow, do I, I have this? I don't know. It, it, I felt like I was just kind of in awe. Yeah. Um, and I guess for me, the Spanish, so I'm at a, I'm at a Spanish speaking parish. And so that was kind of one of the big things was, okay, like hearing confessions in Spanish, that's, I can speak, <laughs> you know, a, a confession, it, it's very, you know, there's a lot of subtleties and nuances and idioms and stuff. And so that was for me, um, kind of a nervous, uh, I guess that kind of preoccupied my attention it was like, okay, how am I going to do this? And is it going to, go yeah. well. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I, I, as a priest so far, I've been a priest. Um, I was ordained June 5th. So mm -hmm. was that almost, uh, yeah, like almost, uh, three months, but, um, isn't that yeah, great questions are just a beautiful, just very beautiful. And it invigorates me. I feel like I have more energy coming out of confession. I don't know. It's just <laughs> yeah. very moving to, to see uh, people who desire God, you know, who really desire change in their life. Um, yeah. And I don't know, as a, as a father, like that's like just to feel that spiritual fatherhood, to say a word of encouragement, um, to encourage, you know, and, and to really receive the mercy, right, that, that the Lord wants to give them. And um, 
and to give instruction too when there's questions. And yeah, so um, it's an adventure. I feel like each week I've been a priest. I'm like <laughs> a different type of priest because each week I get more experience. It's like, okay, all right. Right, maybe, right. That. And so it's, it's all very new. So um, <laughs> It's all very new, but it, I think your first word was right on target. It's a humbling experience to know people trust us that much. And uh, I remember when there was a discussion a couple of years ago in Australia, they were, I think, passing a law that said that a priest who heard of something criminal in confession had to tell the government. And of course, the Australian church said, no, we're not doing that. This is one sacred space where people can bring anything and know that uh, they're, what they're sharing is sacrosanct. And uh, it's a powerful, wonderful witness in so many ways. I'm on Long Island, New York, which is about 40 miles out of Manhattan, but I go into Manhattan to St. Francis of Assisi Parish, and there's a wonderful confessor there. They, they have pretty continual confession in that parish. I don't think he speaks a word of English, which is why I go to him. Um, <laughs> but he's very forgiving, very forgiving. <laughs> now, let's go back. Father Michael, when you were coming from a Catholic family, how Catholic was your family? Like, was it very, very much a practicing family? Was it an occasionally practicing? I'm getting at what's the family that formed and shaped your spiritual life early on? Yeah. So I would say I came from a a, a very Catholic family. Um, My parents, you know, we went to mass every Sunday and we lived the faith. We lived the liturgical year. Um, So my best memories as a kid were, you know, Christmas, Easter, and not just you know, in the liturgy at, at, at church, but even in our home, you know, just like we really lived the faith, you know, um, yeah. like we, my parents, I think did a very good job of, yeah, like the domestic church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, um, so yeah, we, we live, um, the faith was always there. Um, God was always um, a part of our life. Yeah. Um, and the way that my parents raised us, I, I really enjoyed it because um, we would, you know, we went to the Novus Ordo, but there was also an um, extraordinary form Tridentine Mass that was close by. Mm-hmm. So we would kind of go to both, you know, and it wasn't. Okay. So as a kid, you know, I served in both. And so that was a really, I, now, you know, um, I realized what a gift to be able to kind of just in a very simple, in a non-polemical or any, but just in a very simple way, just to see, you know, both forms of the Mass. Right, um, right. Pray them and to, um, and that's something that, um, especially being in seminary and, you know, now, like I, I realized that was just a great gift to be able to just to pray, mm-hmm. um, to see the beauty of both. And um, so, um, yeah, so my family was uh, very Catholic making the best fruits of both. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. Now let me ask you, uh, not every parent is uh, overly thrilled to have a son become a priest. We talked about this recently of a uh, NIMBY, you know, that in terms of putting a, uh, any kind of special homes for the disabled in anyone's neighborhood in New York, it's always somebody should do that, but but not in my, na- not in my neighborhood, not in my backyard. And in right. the same way with priesthood, somebody ought to be a priest. We need more priests, but uh, I want grandchildren, and no, I'm not thrilled about my son ever thinking about the priesthood. The response of your parents when you said, I, I think this might be a calling for me. Yeah, so I was living in Wisconsin. So I grew up in Ventura County, which is just north of uh, Los Angeles. Um, So after college, I was living in Wisconsin, and I came home for Easter, you know, and, you know, was there at home for Easter, and just, you know, I was a teacher, so I had a little time off, and, and, you know, Easter Monday, I told my parents, hey, I'm going to be gone for a couple of days, because I'm going to go visit the, you know, St. John's Seminary, the Mm -hmm. seminary, that's kind of how I broke the news, you know, that I was 
you know, um, I kind of played my cards close to my chest. You know, I wanted to kind of <laughs> be sure things were kind of more real before I kind of shared that. Um, yeah. And so my parents, I think the reaction when I told them I wanted to be a priest was joy. Ah. Um, but I think when they heard I wanted to be diocesan, I think there was maybe some fear, some trepidation. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as we know, with all a lot of the scandals, a lot of the a lot of the problems in the church. And I think for them, I think thinking diocesan, you know, mm-hmm. um, the reputation that St. John's kind of had in the past, I guess, which was before my time. But um, I think there was some fear. Mm-hmm. Of, is my son, this is beautiful. He's going to be a priest and this is what we support. But what type of priest or where is, is he going to be formed? And just, so, you know, and so I think that was a, a fear that they had, which, um, and so, but it was good because we had some really good conversations. And for me, it was never a question of, oh, where do I want to go? Or what kind of a priest do I want to be? For me, it was always, this is where the Lord's called me. Yeah. And so I'm following that and I'm not kind of, you know, have my top three picks and kind of comparing right. it me. It was, it was just a very natural, simple, um, I mean, it, you know, I mean, I was discerning it, but it was, for me, it was just a simple, like, no, this is the Lord's will and I'm not afraid you know, um, mm-hmm. ever, cause I had no idea. Um, I'd never been to St. John's and I can honestly say, I mean, just being at that seminary was one of the greatest gifts I've had in my life. Just awesome. Great, That's- great time. Great brothers. Um, good formation uh, on the whole, you know, <laughs> nothing's mm-hmm. perfect. But, that's, um, that's so great yeah, to, yeah. to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, um, yeah. So, so I think it was for them. It wasn't so much the priesthood. I think they right. were joyful in that, but I think it was more, well, this is a perfect segue. This is a good yeah. segue because you mentioned it. Um, we have uh, in our parish one of the largest pre-cana programs in the diocese. And <laughs> when you find out that young adults are not going to church, which they're not very often, one of the arguments they'll have is, well, you know, I'm so angry at the church for the scandals. When you run into people who uh, uh, are troubled, as they should be by the scandals, what, what's the way in which you explain that uh, they should nonetheless think seriously about staying close to the church and not turn off the church because of past scandals. Yeah, that is, a, that is a great um, question. And I remember when I, um, when I first heard of the McCarrick, all the McCarrick scandal, when it first broke, <coughs> right. I was in Mexico, I was doing my language immersion. So I was in a whole uh. different culture, different language. And I remember being on my cell phone, you know, and, and following the news and no one around knew who McCarrick was in Mexico. They didn't really care. You know, he's an American cardinal. And so I felt like I was like all alone trying to process this. <laughs> I would talk with some of the priests and, you know, they would listen, but it wasn't their, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. It's just, you know, an American problem, you know? And so that was a very hard, or that was just very overwhelming. But I remember I read somehow, I ran across this homily by John Henry Newman. Mm. John Henry Newman. And pretty much he said, he said, you know, there's always been people who want a church without the weeds. And he says, you know, I, and I understand that. And he says, but you know, I want the church of the wheat and the weeds yeah. because that's the church that Christ said. Uh-huh. Um, that's what he said. That's what he promised us. And so anyone who promises a church without weeds, that's not the real church. And, and that really hit me. I think it kind of did the realism of the Lord's words. And I think mm-hmm. just, John Henry Newman, someone who I trust, you know, I've read a lot of his sermons. And I really, um, I, I really, um, I love him. Um, and those words coming from him, someone who was taking sanctity very seriously, but at the same time, 
wasn't giving kind of a pass or a kind of a permissiveness or just this is how things are, but really this kind of, I don't know how you'd say, maybe kind of a humble, like, no, well, this is the reality that even the Lord kind yeah. of, you know, and, and so to try to avoid that too strongly with kind of maybe too much of a rigorism, mm-hmm. you might actually be trying to create something which the Lord doesn't really want, um, or the Lord is allowing this for, for that mysterious reason. And so, right. um, I don't know, even this morning in the office of readings, reading Jeremiah, he talks about Israel. They're like that camel (laughs) just going everywhere in heat, you know, and, and, you know, Israelites, you go under every tree and you've played the heartlet with everyone, you know, and I just, it hit me this morning, how this is the reality of the chosen people, but of sin and the constant need for a conversion. Um, you know, Elijah fleeing from all the prophets of Baal, right. Who, Mm -hmm. and thinking that he was really, you know, like he was the last one who's really living the covenant. And that's when the Lord says, no, like I have, I've got how many, six or 7,000, whatever I, I like, I've kept them for myself. And really the Lord telling him, like, you, you think that you're carrying the covenant, the covenant on your shoulders, that's mm-hmm. all in your hands. And it's not, yeah. I've kept for myself. I'm in, I'm in control. Right. And right. for you, it seems like everything's falling apart. No one believes have faith. Um, and I, so that's kind of how I approach it. And I, I'm very sensitive to the anger and the, the frustration that people have sure. so I try to yes. explain it away, but I, at least for me in my, in my heart, I, I don't, I don't, I don't struggle um, with maybe that doubt or that. You know, it's before your time, but when President Nixon was uh, in trouble, the question they asked him was, were you destroyed by the press that never liked you or the Congress? And he said, uh, yeah, they certainly have always hated me. He said, uh, but I gave them the sword that allowed them to put me out. And in the same way with the church, uh, it's true that the media is no friend of ours. And, and we certainly have plenty of people who delight in the uh, human weakness of the church. But uh, in so many ways, we are responsible and we've got to work to correct what has happened. And I think, that, I hope we're trying to do that. Now, related to human frailty and human weakness, if you haven't been asked this, Father Michael Mastel is our guest. You certainly will be asked. Um, you are a fairly normal guy. He even, by the way, for our listeners and watchers, uh, plays a decent game of basketball. He's a down-to-earth, regular guy. And I mention that because I'm sure people are going to say to you, what what are you doing as a priest that you can't do as a dedicated Catholic layman, a social worker, a teacher, um, so many walks of life where the Catholic faith can be demonstrated? And specifically what they're asking you about is, uh, why do you have to be a celibate priest? So celibacy to you, uh, freedom or restriction? Freedom. Okay. And on two, uh, very, this is like a general, I mean, that's a huge question. And I, it, yeah. let me just begin with my vocation has been a mystery. Uh-huh. And that's what John Paul said, mystery and gift, his book. And I love how he just summarized his whole vocation with those two words, mystery and gift. There's a, a quality which is always eludes our grasp of our calling, mm-hmm. right? and even our whole vocation, and yet we receive it as a gift. And so there's always this entering more deeply into the mystery, yeah. and yet really holding it as something that is beautiful and, we, and, and that's fulfilling. Um, so um, when it comes to, um, yeah, it's just what the Lord did in my life. Um, he came to me at a time and a place where I was very um, isolated, alone. Um, I was in a lot of darkness. And the way that he entered in, and found me and shielded me in the desert and saved me and called me to 
himself in a very intimate way. That just, that for me, that was, I've never, from that moment where the Lord called me, I've never um, really doubted mm-hmm. my, my vocation, that calling, um, because it was so transformative for me. Um, yes, have I discerned marriage and, you know, right? And let my heart, what am I desiring? What am I looking for? Absolutely. I think that's, mm-hmm. again, one of the great joys, the growing pains, I'd say, of seminary was really, really facing that honestly. Right. You know, before, you know, before I'm a priest and praying with it and really, you know, talking with my formator, you know, um, mm. you know, um, with friends, um, just in my own prayer with the Lord. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, it's a path of freedom. And I'd say on two accounts, kind of one's a more natural, <laughs> Excuse me. which is, I don't really like to use this one because it's kind of a pragmatic, but it's true. Like right. I think about um, being a priest and being married um, at least the way I want to be a priest, I'm still new. And, but just that the total availability, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think, um, and not just availability, but emotional availability yeah. to, to those. There's so many people who are struggling, who are alone or, um, I don't know. And for me just to, to be totally, not just physically, you know, with my time, mm-hmm. even emotionally, just to be like available in that way. Um, yeah. So for well, ministry, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So for, so for ministry, it's a very, um, um, I, you know, for me, it's just like, yeah, it makes sense. That's the more pragmatic. Freedom, the freedom yeah. to serve every family instead of your particular yes. family. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm the principal caretaker for my 100 year old mom. And, and that has been an exhausting process. And I think sometimes a wife and kids would have been while well, a beautiful, beautiful vocation, would have made it impossible to be the kind of priest that uh, you and I are called on to be in diocesan ministry. Uh, let me let me follow up. Uh, for those who don't know, Father Michael, before he went into the priesthood, taught high school uh, in Minnesota, Minnesota, right? And uh, in, uh, Wisconsin. Okay, well, I'm wondering though, yeah. when you have when you have kids to teach theology to, what sorts of questions were you getting from the kids in high school, and how easy or hard was it to answer their challenges? Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I would say that was a crucial part of my journey towards mm-hmm. the priesthood. Um, I went to Thomas Aquinas College, which was a very Catholic uh, college. You could say kind of very robust with its academics and, and um, you know, taking very seriously their Catholic identity. So I was there, wonderful time. But then I went to, you know, um, a diocesan high school in Kenosha, just south of Milwaukee in Wisconsin. And and yeah, to a high school, which I think like many schools, you know, was struggling with its Catholic identity. Mm-hmm. A lot of the children were really um, enamored and held under the sway of not the gospel, but of of the world, mm-hmm. of social media, of just the message that their peers and, just, you know, everything is kind of giving them. And yeah. so to enter in, I was teaching juniors and seniors. So, uh-huh. you know, kids who were a little older, more mature, and who had those deeper questions and we're, you know, wanting to set out on their own. Like, what do I believe in? What do I think? And, mm-hmm. and um, I had a wonderful team of um, other teachers from Steubenville. Um, uh, you know, we all taught theology. But yeah, so for me to to go into class each day was terrifying. <laughs> it was like a battle. Because I mean, nothing was, you know, they, they were not afraid to ask anything. Yeah. And you had to be ready to, you know, whether that was, you know, and... But it was 
so good because I think it showed me the reality of where we are now. Mm. This is the next generation of Catholics. And these are good people, but there's a lot of confusion. And, and, the, and the, the seed of faith is in danger of, of being dried up or being plucked by, by crows, mm-hmm. not being watered. And so the need, the great need um, that, the, that the students, that our young Catholics need, and really what it came down to is just the very basic of faith. Mm-hmm. Is God even a real, put aside all the teachings and all the you know liturgy, just the very basic question of, I mean, is God real? Right, Do you right. really need God? And if not, then all this other stuff, why even? And I think that was, um, that really moved me. And it forced me to really go deeper in my own prayer life, mm-hmm. really kind of answer my own questions. And that's where the Lord really pulled me, you know, I think when I went out on that journey. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm kind of straying for your original question. I can't really remember what it was. No, but, no, um, no. <laughs> teaching, teaching was very, um, it formed me. It, 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 it destroyed any kind of romantic <laughs> kind of um, immature, you know, kind of Catholic identity or like the faith. Right. And it brought me to the hard reality of, I think, where we are now. Yeah. And yet I was fed. The Lord worked with those students. Mm-hmm. My coworkers were faithful. And it, it, it was the hardest, but some of the most joyful years of my life. And for me, that's the church of the future. And that's, that's how I've approached the priesthood. My whole seminary life was not that kind of triumphalistic, you know, like, oh, we're Catholic. And right. no, it's that we're going out there and, and, and the, the flock is in danger of being scattered. What, what I love about what you're saying is uh, it didn't scare you off. Some people as a teacher in that situation would say, God, if these questions, which are so direct and so honest, uh, you know, if I can handle them, I can probably handle a lot more, which is what you're going to have to do in the future. Let me ask you, uh, during the pandemic, our parish, uh, and we continue to be providing mass every day online. And, uh, and so we get lots of response. Most masses, you have eight or 9,000 people around the country watching and I mention that because uh, our own style of preaching here is is pretty direct on the uh, contemporary issues, whether it be the sanctity of human life or migration or any other number a number of issues. This this past week, talking about Afghanistan uh, and tying gospel values in with the with the real life that's going around on around us. I mention that because have you discerned for yourself yet um, what you can and cannot say, how you say it? Uh, to be political or not to be political, to uh, uh, deal with contemporary issues or to just bring people back to the gospel and let them make the application to contemporary times. I know it's early in, in the, the, the journey for you, but what's your view of preaching and, and how, how do you do it? Yeah, I'm still um, new and I'm, 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 and I'm feeling my way through this. Mm-hmm. But I guess generally what I would say is I really, I really, um, take wholeheartedly Pope Benedict's perspective on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes back to what you said, what, like, why be a priest? What's the difference between a priest and a social worker and just a regular Catholic, you know? And I think it's because I'm a priest in some way I bring God to people. Mm-hmm. And that's what people need in the, in the midst of polarization, in the midst of all these questions, very, it's a very complicated and difficult world we live in. Yeah, And we know every detail and all of us have an opinion and we're all, and I think in the midst of all that, um, who's speaking about God, really? And who's speaking about God in a beautiful and in a way with conviction and just in, in, in a way that cuts through polemics mm-hmm. and it's not watered down 
but is real. I want to thank Father Michael Mastoff for being with us. Um, you know, what I, I've been doing this for a long, long time, and uh, I'm always conscious of the guest on our program who has kind of a canned answers, and uh, then there are others who think through the question and are both spontaneous and honest, and that's you. And I just appreciate that early in your priesthood, you are willing to uh, speak about your journey, your, your search, uh, the Lord, the people we're serving, uh, the good and the weak in the church, and uh, it's, you're just very, very refreshing. I tried every year to invite uh, newly ordains to come on and speak to us, and I was particularly struck because uh, I get all these magazines and newspapers from dioceses around the country, but when I looked at the Los Angeles magazine, um, there were a number of vocations that were Asian, a number of vocations that were Latino, and then there was this Anglo kid, you know, <laughs> and, and I wondered, is it, and I promise this will be my last question, is it intimidating when you have to work with uh, many cultures in the Los Angeles area to, to be able to say, I can move past the particular way which I was raised, my culture, and really be open with the gospel to every culture. Is that a hard, is that a hard burden to carry? I would say learning Spanish and yeah. you know, being more deeply into the Hispanic culture has been one of the greatest gifts I've received in my life. Wow. It has expanded. Um, I mean, my whole worldview, you know, just, I don't know, I feel like as a person, just I've entered more deeply into reality to see reality from a whole different culture, through mm -hmm. different language, different expression. Our, our seminary, St. John's, is very diverse. Um, and the first year, I think it was kind of an adjustment because there's like, oh, like they had the Korean special mass and then the Filipino and then, you know, um, but again, it's been an incredible gift. Yes. And um, I'm friends with um, so many good men at the seminary, many different cultures. Um, for example, um, <laughs> I always joke with my uh, Korean friends at uh, St. John's. It's like, I love the Korean church. It is such a beautiful and strong and just their history is incredible how like pretty much the lady catechized themselves yeah. you know it's it's yeah. it's incredible and so um and to see how each culture different nationality yeah. that the faith has taken root in a different way it's the same seed it's the same life mm -hmm. it has a different expression i think that's made me a better um man i think yeah. it's helped to soften maybe hard edges that i've had and i know that it's made me into a better pastor or you know a mm -hmm. better priest because right. um, it helps me to refine what is the one thing necessary and where, where is that there, that beautiful flexibility that allows for, you know, that the spirit to express um, in different ways in different cultures. Um, yeah. So. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Father Michael Masala, thank you so much for being with us and for sharing your heart and your vocation. And uh, we'll be praying for you. Please pray for us as well. Thank you. Monsignor. Yeah. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. Personally Speaking is also on YouTube. Just go to Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and don't forget to click like and subscribe. You can also get our podcast at personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com or go to www.closeencountertv.com. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And we're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. 
please share and let others know about Personally Speaking. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.